Welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Christian. I am uh, the lead pastor along with my wife here at New Philadelphia Church. If you are not a regular member of our church and you are here as a guest, cousin, friend, uh, and, and you, this is your first time coming to a New Philly event, we just want to welcome you and say that we are glad that you're here. And we just want to assure you that everything's going to be safe. <laughs> everything's going to be okay. Because God is going to move powerfully during this weekend. And we are praying that he will take you deeper into relationship with him uh, through the ret- uh, blessings that you will receive at this retreat. Um, time out for a second. Hey, is it awkward if I put the pulpit over here? Can you get the can you get the camera so that the white thing doesn't back, come out, but this this thing comes out? <laughs> it's like ten times better like that. Can you can it works? Okay, I'm gonna move the monitor a little bit. Now, Curry, please be careful here with the step, but I th- I think this is pretty safe. You can feel free to walk through here, but this will be your centerpiece here. Okay. All right, uh, we are so excited. We are, uh, we are so excited. <clears throat> Everybody right now on the 5 p.m. bus, we heard that the subway went down. And uh, I'm sure that you're sad that uh, you're supposed to arrive by now, but I'm sure you're a little bit sad. But I'm sure a lot of you are watching by your smartphone. Uh, we just want to say we can't wait to see you here. Uh, if you do walk in in the middle of the sermon, please be very, very quiet. All right, but uh, we're praying you arrive safely, and everyone on the 10 p.m. bus, uh, uh, do not wake everybody up when you go into the rooms, all right? Walk in quietly, uh, but we're, uh, we are praying for all of you to arrive tomorrow morning bus. We're looking forward to everybody uh, packing out this room. Uh, for everyone that's here t- uh, right now, uh, I'm about to introduce our main guest speaker for the retreat. Uh, you can read all about uh, his uh, profile here in your name tag. Um, but what I might want to mention is uh, Pastor Kirby Clements uh, is all, has flown in all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, along with his wife, Pastor Sandra. And they have come. Now, the theme of our church, uh, the theme of the year for our church is the year of wisdom. 2014 is the year of wisdom. And so for our retreat, we really wanted a speaker that can really embody wisdom. And we couldn't think of a better speaker than Pastor Kirby Clements. Pastor Kirby Clements has been in the ministry for over 30 years. And uh, he is my spiritual great-grandpapa. And so my spiritual father, Pastor Benjamin, is here. And then Pastor Benjamin's spiritual father, Pastor Robert Daniels, is here. And then Pastor Robert Daniels' spiritual father is Pastor Kirby Clements. And, you know, in our imminent eternal identity, we're all just brothers. You know, sons of the Most High uh, through the blood of Christ. Uh, But we get to uh, function in different leadership roles while we're here on this earth. And uh, Pastor uh, Clements has been... Uh, really building up the body of Christ in very uh, unique ways. He's written, uh, he and his wife have written over 14 books. Uh, there was a miscommunication and he did not bring those books, but you can get them as an ebook. So apparently there's a, a lot of his books available as an ebook. Uh, but as he shares, 
I'm sure that he will really pique your interest in uh, some of the teachings he has. But it is with great joy uh, to have him do the opening service here and uh, be our main speaker for our retreat. Uh, so without further ado, let's put our hands together for Pastor Kirby Clements. Come on. so much. Read a word of prayer with me, would you? Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this evening and for every evening and for every day, for every year, for every month, for every week, for every moment. We ask that you would speak to us and speak through us. Help us to hear and to say things that will make a difference and bring honor and praise to your name, to provoke your people to faith, to obedience, to equip them, enable them, to glorify you. Help us to understand the things that you already know, so there be no confusion in our lives. We worship you this night in song, but even before this, we have glorified you in our lives. Thank you for the leaders of this work, those who have been pioneers. Thank you for all that have gathered to bring wisdom and revelation. And thank you for us all as children. We worship you and magnify you in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, I'm, uh, I'm privileged to be here with you. And um, you will be meeting my wife, Sandra, but I just uh, wanted her to stand and wave a hand at you, Sandra. Back in the back here. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm a dentist by training, so I'm watching for the sign. I see it 50 minutes, okay? I love appointments on time. I want to talk with you tonight uh, from a topic that I hope will have meaning to you, and I'm sure that it will. Um, when I came into the ministry, um, I believe I was born into it. My grandmother prayed at my birth that I would be a preacher and a doctor. And she later gave me a little Bible where she had written those words, and that might account for the reason today that I'm... Um, a leader in the church, a bishop that I travel around the world, and I'm a dentist. I'm what you call a prostodontist, so smile at me. <laughs> well, I'm familiar with teeth, they're my friends. And um, when I came into the ministry, I remember the first prayer that I prayed was a prayer that Solomon prayed after the death of his father. He said, Lord, uh, you've given me the ability to rule so great a people. I feel that I'm just a child. And the Lord said to him, ask whatsoever you will. And without hesitation, I do believe that this new appointed king said, give me an understanding heart to discern wise counsel and judgment. And it said that this speech pleased the Lord. And God conferred with him. We're not too sure how the Lord spoke to him. There's always been an issue of uh, how revelation comes. We're not too sure if it comes by the dictation theory, that is God speaking literally and we're hearing and writing it down. We're not too sure if it comes uh, by what I call um, 
the suspension theory, which means that God actually suspends our natural abilities and we are just overwhelmed by his presence. Or we're not too sure if it's, if it's the interpretive theory, that God shows us a vision of something we are left to interpret it. But it is said that God said the speech pleased him, and he said, because you did not ask for longevity of life or victory over your enemies or wealth or riches or things of those nature, you ask for something that is most precious. He said, I will give you all of those things, but what you've asked for is most critical. And you know, shortly thereafter, he was confronted with a, what I consider uh, a situation that was uh, not resolvable by human understanding. Two women were brought before him, and uh, each claiming that the living child belonged to them, and neither one claiming the dead child. They were harlots, as you know. And this wisdom that God had given Solomon uh, caused them to ask a question and to make a statement. And you know how the story was resolved. He said, I'll find out who the mother is. Bring me a sword and let me cut the child in half. And the mother, to whom the child did not belong, said, that's right, do that. But the mother, who the child belonged to, said, no, no. I'd rather for the child to live and to be apart from me than to die and never be close. And Solomon said, there's the mother. I want to talk with you about wisdom. In talking to you about wisdom, I must talk to you about God. I'm going to talk to you tonight about the unavoidable, unavoidable God. Unavoidable God. I think it's Proverbs 14, I think, 1. that says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Fear is not a dread. The word fear connotes respect and honor. To fear God is to worship Him. In fact, my definition of worship is not our singing or our praise or our dancing or the raising of our hands. Worship to me in its inaugural form is simply obedience to God. Because believe it or not, in creation, that's what worship was. They obeyed God. That's the highest form of worship. And so I want to talk with you about this. And uh, I want to remind you uh, a statement I have found to be made constantly. We are in a corporate gathering here tonight. And in a corporate gathering, I often say that I can only profit you by speaking to you in four ways. These are the words of Paul to the church at Corinth. Number one, I must speak to you by knowledge. Knowledge is the product of my experiences in this world and with God. I've been walking with the Lord, or He has walked with me these many years, and I've seen the Lord. I've not only seen His acts, but I've asked the Lord, just like Moses asked, to show me your ways. And the ways of God are far. As the, far as the heaven is from the earth, so are His ways for me. So I must speak to you by the product of my knowledge. I've been a part of a mega ministry for over 30 years. Ministry that well over 14,000 people. That may seem small today. But it pioneered a lot of revival emphasis on the kingdom of God. And uh, celebration of worship. Dance and drama. And the use of the mind. Innovative concepts of worship and evangelism. Tremendous worship. So I must speak to you from the wisdom I've gained through that. Number two, I must speak to you by revelation. Revelation is divine disclosure. It's when God makes known to us things about his ways, his concepts, his belief. Uh, he has spoken to me some time ago three words that I hope you will always encapsulate in your mind. One is the word purpose. 
to understand the reason why we're here, purpose. Second is priority. Know how to put things in their proper place. There are lesser things and greater things, children. Just like there are heavenly and earthly things. We need to understand things that are great before God. And there are some things that are lesser. And then, of course, perspective. Knowing how all things fit together. I often say to people that success and failure is not always a matter of zeal and enthusiasm and energy. Many times our success in life depends upon our concepts. How we see things. Because you can do everything and yet accomplish nothing. The most critical thing is that we do things that are pleasing to God. And then, of course, number three is doctrine. Doctrine is our effort to take the Word of God and to put it into a manageable, practical form. And that is where our crisis is. I would say here, categorically tonight, that the battleground of the church, historically and contemporarily, has been doctrine. Our effort to interpret or to misinterpret historical precepts, principles, and people. That's why our battleground, that's why we're divided today over doctrine. And so hopefully I will speak to you from that standpoint. And then last, prophecy. Prophecy. Prophecy is divine speech. It's God speaking to us and through us. Things concerning his will and purpose for us individually and corporately. I believe in a living God. Am I in a minority or a majority that believes that? I believe in a God that speaks, a God that hears. He's not a man that he should lie. I would often say that statement indicates that men lie. And that women tell the truth. And that's, that's some truth in that. But I want to speak to you tonight. And uh, I want to explore the idea of wisdom. Idea of wisdom. But in exploring the idea of wisdom, I have to explore the idea of God. A God. The God that will not go away. The God that's unavoidable. And I'm going to speak tonight from the 139th Psalm. Because I think it is a, it's not a preface song, but... It is one of those songs that the writer, when he receives it, he knows that it's a special time. See, I believe that all scripture is inspired, but all scripture does not carry the same degree of validity and anointing. There are some things in scripture that are very significant. All gatherings are not the same. All anointings are not the same. I believe this week is an unusual gathering, an unusual anointing. It's something that prefaces things to come. Uh, so when I say all scripture is inspired, but it all does not carry the same weight. Uh, one of the most powerful verses of scripture is that the Lord Jesus said, you must be born again. Must be born of the spirit and of water to see and enter the kingdom. That, that is a focus scripture. When he said the words, my kingdom is not of this world. That is a tremendous thing. I even like when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. That says a whole lot. I'm the way, the truth. And the like. Those are powerful verses. There are other scriptures that truly record truth. But there's a weightiness to those. And when Paul writes the words, there's only one way. One mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Those are powerful things. And so when I read the scriptures, when the writer of the Psalms, when he's recording this, he senses there's a special level of revelation here. There's a special encounter here. And he wants to make sure that the chief musician put this to proper music. And don't just hide it away among the other psalm. He said, this is critical here. Because this talks something about the transcendence of God. This speaks a whole lot about the sovereignty of God. The power of God to rule and to do whatsoever he wants to do. Without our consideration. God does not have to wait for us to get it right. For him to do what he desires to do. 
And so he says, let's put this psalm in the right place. Because you see, our problem, believe it or not, fundamentally is with God. It's with God. I come from a place that I hope you don't wrestle with this misconception, where they think spiritual warfare is denouncing the devil, spending long hours in prayer, and telling God things that we think he doesn't know. (laughs) So we're giving him divine secrets and things of this nature. And I discovered, Brother T.L. Osborne, that spiritual warfare is not what you do on your knees, it's what you do on your feet. It's not, hear me carefully, there are some things we must do on our knees. There are some things you only accomplish in prayer. But hear me carefully, once you have prayed, you must get up. You must do something. So spiritual warfare many times is conceptual. And so I've discovered over the years that some of our challenges have to do with our concept of God. That's why I say that our battle is not with the devil, it's with God. You say, but that's not the truth. Oh, yes, it is the truth. I can prove it by scripture. It says, submit to God. And who will flee? The devil will flee. Because you see, if we conform to his will, if we do it his way, if we go in his path, if we submit ourselves to his will, if we control our own emotions and not allow them to rule us, if we do the things that God has told us to do, I promise you we we will be victorious. We will be great. We will serve. We will rule and reign. Because then we become like him. Paul said that I might know him. And be made conformable to his image and his likeness. And for that reason, I think our battle has many times been our caricatures of God. I read a book a number of years ago by Dr. J.B. Phillips. He's uh, one of these wonderful writers. Uh, I was visiting a bookstore when I was in England. When I go to England, uh, the Brits are wonderful people. I just can't be with them too long. But after being there about seven days, I figured that my tenure had come to an end. But I visited some of the bookstores, and I found this little paperback, J.B. Phillips, and it's entitled, Your God is Too Small. He said, our human caricatures of God are subnormal. They're subbiblical. Sometimes we see God as this great eye in the sky judging us. Sometimes we see him as a landlord who evicts us because we don't pay our tithes and our orphan. You, you may not have that here, but in America many times, you know, preachers preach that way. If you don't pay your tithes, don't give you an offering, God is going to evict you. I said, no, God is going to evict you. <laughs> Sometimes we see God as a father who's never satisfied because many of the churches that I go to, the worship leaders, they have us standing on our feet for over two hours. Thank God you did not do that today so grateful for that. Sometimes they see God who prefers men to rule in his kingdom rather than women. They preach that strongly. And sometimes they see God as one who's only caught up in you being a pacifist. You know that verse when it said if they slap you on the left cheek, you should turn what? The other cheek. I used to say to people, if you do hit me and I turn, make sure that you're not there. God is not a pacifist. God is a warrior. That's both the goodness and the severity of God. Don't ever think that God does not want us to respond. Respond, not react. Reaction is weakness, respond to strength. And so I think our caricatures of God. So if we talk about wisdom, wisdom, I have to begin at God. Nowhere I can begin except at God. We need to understand him, know something about him. So tonight I want to talk with you about this thing here. I want to remind you, Brother Christian mentioned some books that I've written. Senator, uh, <clears throat> I've written about 12 or 14 of them. We lose count. I understand she'll be speaking some of the women in some of the workshops 
and I'll be blessed. I won't be able to sit in with them because I'll probably be assigned duties. One of the books we wrote is called, And He Gave Them, which is the co-equality of men and women. I think that uh, when God created him and created her, he created them both simultaneously because he created the creature, not the man. Misconceptions about that. And he gave them authority, both authority. And he didn't create a woman as an afterthought. She wasn't taken from his side, uh, from his rib, but from his side chamber. And the idea of a helpmeet does not mean one that's inferior. And so we've written a book called, and he gave them. One of the ones that were most successful with us is a book called Spiritual Intelligence. All intelligence is not academic. I've seen people who have high academic prowess, but they lack fundamentally the understanding of God. The fool is not a fool because he's academically unintelligent. He's a fool because he's morally irresponsible. He does not acknowledge God. He says in his heart, there is no God. That is a fool. He may be a brilliant man. People that bombed the trade tower in Washington, in in, uh, New York, and the ones in Oklahoma City, they were intellectually brilliant, but they were spiritually inept because they didn't understand the God. And in spiritual intelligence, we mention such things as what I call evidence-based theology. Theology must have fruit. If you measure anything, you measure it by the fruit. Jesus said, by that fruit, you shall know them. Any theology that builds life, that points people to Jesus, not to a man, but to Jesus. Any theology that makes you codependent is not fundamentally a good theology. But any theology that establishes you in Christ and Christ in you is a sound theology. We talk about redemptive consciousness. We need to have in our minds, because that's where our battleground is. And understanding what God has done for us and who we are. We need to be able to think correctly and to fill our minds with his ideas and his thoughts. One of the chapters in there is on Pentecostal power and psychic phenomena. There's been a a misrepresentation of God. We've misrepresented the spiritual Holy Spirit. And for that reason, some people don't want to be involved. Because you see, anytime something is abused, we have a tendency to not to use it anymore. But you need to understand that the correction of abuse is not disuse. It's proper use. And just because people have abused prophecy... Just because they have abused authority, just because they have abused government, we have a tendency to put it aside. What we need to do is to bring government to entities. And so we have a chapter that's dealing with that. And you can get that on Amazon. Amazon.com, I think it is. It's typing the word. Amazon, yeah, I think that's it. Spiritual intelligence, okay. Spiritual intelligence. Any of the books we have, one is called The Second. That's another book you may like. Uh, one is called Discernment. Discernment, you'll like that. That's first critical to us because I think we need to be able to determine times and seasons and things of this nature. So tonight I want to talk to you about the unavoidable God. Unavoidable God. I want to know something about who is he? What is he? What does he do? What is his power? Who is he like? Someone says, who is like thee, O God? Plenteous in mercy and compassion. Ever willing to restore. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. Fundamentally, our problem is with God. Because if our concepts about God is wrong, because after all, we emulate what we worship. And if we see God as weak, if we see him as a pacifist, or if we see a God who only functions in what we call the sacred sphere, we missed him. God is not excluded from anything. He's God of all the world. So I want to read the 139th Psalm to you. And you're hearing, and hopefully this will have some understanding. And I want to read it from what I call the Living Bible. That'd be okay? So I don't know if you have, uh, how many of you have King James? <laughs> oh, okay, I see. This is a reform crowd, huh? <laughs> uh, New American Standard, anybody? How many don't have a Bible at all? Because you're on 
technological things there, right? Your iPad, cell phone. Okay. <laughs> Here it is. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me to follow me. You place your hand a blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest ocean, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. If I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to bring night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How will I know it? You watched me as I was being formed in the utter seclusion, as I was within being woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? You cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake, you're still with me. O oh God, if only your word, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out, my, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. O oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who you hate? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes. I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point me, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path, the path of everlasting life. The Psalms are often written to celebrate a principle or an experience of the writer. Sometimes they're used to celebrate an occasion, and especially occasion. But often they are used to celebrate an attribute or an aspect of God. And near this psalm, they're celebrating the sovereignty and the transcendence of God. And I think it's important that we all understand that. God is everywhere. And in this psalm, he talks about several aspects of God that is most critical. Because, see, we're living in a world where they're trying to silence the voice of God. The whole premise of Romans chapter 1 speaks of the problem that happens when we lose consciousness of God. It is said that when Israel did not maintain a consciousness of God in their minds, they were turned over to a reparate mind. They begin to think irrationally, illogically. They begin to be fearful. 
and threatened and intimidated because they lost track of a God who presides over all things. God is sovereign and he rules. He just doesn't rule over those who honor him. God rules over all things. He said, I was found of those who did not seek me. I was heard of those who did not ask after me. He said, I'm the God of all. I've created all. I've created all things. I've given man free power and free right. But you need to understand, I'm the God. One word from me settles all controversy. One thought from me. So I love this psalm because, number one, it talks about aspects of God. First thing it talks about is the omniscience of God. He knows everything. The writer said he knows my inner thoughts. He knows my fears. He knows my doubts. He even knows my words even before I form them. He knows the motive of my heart, my intentions. He knows when I'm honest and when I'm not. I like what the Bible says about Jesus. He said that Jesus knew what was in men. In men. The omniscience of God is that all-knowing power. Now, we need to be very much aware of this. My wife and I were having a discussion some time ago because we were waking early in the morning and we were feeling somewhat sad and at times depressed. And I wanted to know what was going on here because I, I had no reason for feeling this way. And I discovered as redeemed people, we have a sensitivity not only to within but without of ourselves. And sometimes we're sensitive to the world about us. Because after all, the whole earth groans. It groans waiting for redemption. And sometimes our sensitivity is awakened. And so we sometimes feel sadness. But it's not sadness for us. It's sadness for others. Sometimes we feel sorrow and it's for others. And I said, I've learned. We need to pray because we need to be discerning as to where is this coming from? Is it within me? Is it something going on within me or something without? And we discovered that it was without us. And we needed to start to pray. This omniscience of God. That he knows the words you say. He knows your sinners even before you form the words. Sometimes we can hide things from people. We can. You can say one thing and do another. It's called hypocrisy. A lack of consistency. We can act as if we love someone, but inside we despise them. But God who knows all things. Now, understanding this will keep us honest. It will keep us honest in this secret place. Of our own self and our minds. It will cause our thoughts to focus. God is not opposed to us being imagination people. We should imagine things. But there are some things that will will fill our mind that should not. We should fill our mind with the word of God. And to imagine the one. So this omniscience of God. This all knowing. It keeps me humble. Because how many know there are some things we wish God didn't know. Some things we wish he didn't see. Because all of us at some point in time have said things we wish we could, we wish we could get them back. We've had thoughts. I will confess to you, I was dealing with a bunch of uh, preachers one time, and uh, forgive me, Lord, I asked forgiveness back then, but I was having great trouble with them, and I prayed that the Lord would kill them. (laughs) And since I knew that he wouldn't kill them, I said, just get them lost. And let them be unfound for at least a week. And I discovered that uh, my battle was not with them. My battle was with the Lord. And, and God knew my thoughts. They didn't. Because as I spoke to them, I smiled. <laughs> and when we were in the church, I raised my hand and worshiped God. Not knowing in a secret place in my heart. But some things that shouldn't be there. What the psalmist is saying now. Because this will cause you to govern the secrecy of your mind. 
They will cause you to govern your words, your thoughts, your ideas, your feelings, because you know that there's one whom we have to deal with. The next part is what I call the, um, how can I say it? The omnipotence of God. Omnipotence of God. He's everywhere. There was a time we thought that God only dwelled in our dwellings when we came together. That's where God was. We discovered long ago that God was everywhere. There was a time we thought that God was religious. That he was a religious God. God is not a religious being. He's a world being. He's concerned in all of the world. That was a time we did not even want people to go into such things as law. And science and entertainment and art. And especially not government. And athletics, none at all. Because we felt that God was not there. Felt that God hated the world. He despised the world. And then we discover that God is in all of the world. Because, hear me carefully, our field is the world. And so we begin to encourage people to go into law, to education, to science, and entertainment. And we even said to them, you don't simply have to sing those songs we sing in church. You can put a whole lot of songs to music and reach people. You can say things that reaches out to them. And so God was saying that I'm everywhere. And if I'm everywhere, I'll give you energy. I'll give you strategy. And he's going to give you strategies. He's going to give you the wisdom and the knowledge to reach the world. He's going to give you wisdom and a knowledge that transcends generation because that's where our conflict is. He's going to show you he's not just a God of the old or the young. He's a God of all things. He's everywhere. Where can you go to escape his presence? Once you have that wisdom, you will be a generation of people because wisdom is not limited, Hemi Capital, to a generation. You don't have to wait till you get old and ugly to get wisdom. <laughs> to do that. He said, a little child shall lead them. And there'll come a time, and even there is, when children shall lead a nation. When God shall speak to you in the depth of his heart, you'll open your mouth to speak things. Number one, they will ask you, where did this come from? My knowledge of God. The other thing you need to understand, that God is omnipresent. God is also all-powerful, all-knowing. He's transcendent. Transcendent. And I like this part. He said that when God formed the heavens and the earth, they gave him no problems. They did not talk back to him. But it was when he formed humanity, you all were his problems. The dogs and the cats do not complain. They accept the rain, they look to heaven from which cometh the help. But to his people... When things don't go right, they complain. When they don't have all they need, they're sorrowful. They're not happy. They complain to God about the people that he puts in their lives to help them. Because, see, we want everyone in our lives to be happy people, to be helpful people. And sometimes not knowing that God puts people in our lives to help us. And they're some of the most difficult people. Ever had to work with difficult people? Ever had to work with people who are hard to get along with? Demanding people? Ever had to work with people who have to always be number one and in charge? And when things are not going that way, they leave? Ever have to work with people like that? You could be working with one. It could be you. (laughs) And just like I did at one time, not understand that God was everywhere in all things. And I was praying to be delivered. He said, I am delivering you. I said, no, no, no. I want to be delivered from them. He said, no, no, you don't understand. Them is not the problem. I said, well, please tell me the problem. And then I thought, the silence. The silence of heaven. (laughs) 
is always an indication that God already knows that you know the answer. It's also an indication that God doesn't have anything else to say right now. The silence of heaven. Or it's an indication that God knows that you're not going to obey. So why waste his time repeating himself? And so the silence came. When the silence came, I had this conviction that what I was asking for had already happened. Sometimes because of the omnipotent, omniscience of God. That's what the psalmist saying. God knows more than we know ourselves. God knows what we know. He's fashioned you. Can you think of that, that God has made you the way he has made you? I'm never a combative person. I was never contentious. My personality dynamics, I was not fashioned that way that I had to be in charge of things. I work cooperation functions to me better than competition. I was an athlete. I played ball. And many times when I knocked a guy down, I would reach my hand up and say, good. I wasn't Christian then, so I didn't say, God bless you. I said things like this. Don't be here next time. (laughs) But the thought that God has fashioned you. He said before you were born, he knew you. He's put you in your mother's womb. While you were doing incubation, God has fashioned you, your inward part. The whole thing of your, your psychology, your spirituality, your psychology, your intellectuality, the whole idea of your personality dynamics. Think the possibility that God has fashioned you that way. God makes no mistakes. If he fashioned you to be a pioneer, that means you must have an indomitable spirit. You must never walk down the yellow brick road. You must never yield to the opinion of the people. You were probably raised as a defiant child. Mother had to spend many hours with you applying a hand, giving protoplasmic stimulation. (laughs) Not recognizing that here was a pioneer. He was one that was never going to do it according to the pattern. And not knowing that God has fashioned. Did you know that Bill Gates, his mother used to wonder why he was not like the other children playing. And he said, I'm downstairs thinking. She said, but you're abnormal. She said, I am normal for me. The fact that God fashions you that way, that it gives you a mind that's creative, a mind that can think wonderful thoughts and ideas. He gives you a mind to be able to organize and destruct. This is God's doing. He says, I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. You have designed my innermost being. You have made me a certain personality. In the States, we have four personalities we talk about. The choleric, that's the dominant person who leads, who can get things done. Who doesn't wait for anybody. If there's no leader, they step up to the plate. And they sometimes can be very demanding, very unforgiving. Sometimes they don't see their own fault. So the best person to be joined to a choleric, number one, is sometimes a sanguine. A sanguine is one who has a center. He's free will, want to do things, but him and Kathleen, sanguines drive cholerics crazy. (laughs) Drive them crazy. Because cholerics want to know where everything is, where everything is going. And sanguines will never, in fact, sanguines spend more time asking forgiveness than permission. (laughs) Then you have the choleric. That's the one who wants things structured in order. Who's always quiet. Who never says things because they like peace. And then the melancholic, the most creative kind. The kind that God loves. You're probably detecting by now that I'm melancholic. <laughs> Melancholics are given to being peacemakers because they know how to resolve conflicts. That many times they will watch and observe. Very creative. Number one, sometimes emotional. I have to master that. 
And the fact that God has fashioned all these things, but also He's left it to us to develop the better part of that. Because in all of that is a negative and a positive part. Like there's the goodness and the severity of God, there's the goodness and the badness of you. And God wants you to correct things, to instruct things. And so He had put me in environments because of His sovereignty that I didn't want to be. This God who knows everything, who knows where to place you, makes no mistakes. He assigned you to a job you wish you could get out of because you have a boss that doesn't understand. He puts you in a ministry like he put me with some fighting people, contentious people. They would fight a tree. (laughs) Fight a tree. And God joins me to them. And here I am. I'm not a contentious person. And I had not read this psalm, the 139th psalm. I only read the verse when it said, Jesus wept. That's what I was doing. Weeping. (laughs) Then I found... That in, for God to fashion us, this is what the psalmist is saying. He said, you need to understand, he knows what you do not know. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than yours. You cannot see far down the road. You're like a blade of grass that springs up and at the heat of the day is gone. But he is enduring. He's doing something in you that will cause you to endure. Because God's desire is that we finish our course. Keep the faith. Not yield anywhere along the line. Not give up. It is not God's will, number one, that we are plagued with depression and unhappiness, nor fear. That's not the will of God. And if I can understand this God, whom the psalmist says is encompassing, transcendent and sovereign, who rules over the heaven, who set the constellation, who's told the sun to be the guardian of the day and the moon, the custodian of the night. He dwells within me and you. When you understand that, what can stand before you? What will you be fearful of? What is it that you cannot do? The devils quake and tremble because let me carefully. When you come, there's something called presence. It's called the power of God, the everlasting God. You're in a relationship sometimes that's challenging. You need to understand that great is he that's in you than he that's in the world. When you understand this kind of God, that's what he's celebrating. He said, I must celebrate God. I've seen a picture of him. A God who sees afar. He sees in the secret place. He's fashioned and made me in a way. Now this God we must bring back to the church. Yeah. This is the God we must teach and preach again. Yeah. This is the God whom we must have to do. And that's why I say again, our battleground is not with the devil, it's with God. We submit ourselves to him. Hear me carefully. It does not mean that it will be easy. You'll have challenges. You cannot live in this world without having persecution if you live in righteousness. Sometimes we think that if I obey God, everything will go easy. Hear me carefully, you obey God, many things will go wrong. But hear me carefully, and God, what is wrong with you is right in heaven. That you need to understand. And so if I would leave you some proverbial saying that helps me to encapsulate this unavoidable God. Because you cannot miss him. Cannot miss him. He's everywhere. If you go to the top of the heavens, he's there. If you go to the depth of the sea, he's there. Whatever part of the nation of the world you go to... He's there, except California. <laughs> We're still praying for salvation to come to California. I have to go there five times a year. I said, oh, Lord, not again. <laughs> but we have wonderful people in California. I'm so grateful. Not many, but we have wonderful people. I want to leave you with some thoughts. One has been very pivotal to me. 
And it said this, sometime we can be one idea, one thought, one concept away from victory. Just one idea. Sometimes just one word from God settles every controversy, every matter that you face. One word, one thought from God. I'm a doctor by training. I discovered that God is, is a great dentist. He can give you wisdom and counsel. Because, see, the wisdom and counsel of God just doesn't relate to spiritual things. You need to understand that true spirituality is practicality. Did you understand? It's practical. And everything that you do, God has been speaking to us about staying on our bodies. Since I've been here, I'm experiencing a lot of your cuisine. Wonderful food. Wonderful food and dangerous food. <laughs> but the wisdom of God is that God gives us understanding of practical things. There was a time I was about to treat a patient. And not knowing, because the patient looked normal on the outside. That's why I said the wisdom of God helps you see beyond the obvious. Faith takes you beyond the obvious, children. Hear me carefully. Sometimes we see the problem, but God also sees the solution. That's why I say with God, there's always a way. With God, there's always an alternative. With God, there's always an objective. That's something that can be done. With God, all things are possible. And here this patient stood before me. Seemed to be a picture of health, but something inside of me. Learn to listen to the spirit within you, children. Develop your sensitivity to the spirit once again. You understand? He dwells within. He speaks in that secret place. Not with the rocks, not with the storm, but that still small voice that speaks within you. Learn to listen and develop that once again. And something inside of me said, no, don't treat this man. Don't treat this man now. And I thought, because the man was very the man, do not let people demand that you disobey God just because of their needs. Don't let that happen. I said, no, I need to refer you. So I was working at this large health center because I was a chief of dentistry. I referred him down to my cardiologist. The cardiologist called me back in an hour. He said, uh, <clears throat> Kirby, how did you know? I said, how did I know what? How did you know about this man? I said, well, and I wanted to act very intelligent. Well, I just thought I'd sit him down to see you. That's all I knew. He said, no, you don't understand. This man has a heart condition. Had you touched him, it would precipitate a cardiovascular accident. He said, and this man would have been dead. He said, I don't know how you knew that because you detected this without any x-rays, without any other diagnostic tubes. You need to understand, children, <clears throat> one other thing about the wisdom of God, it teaches you how to be diagnostic. It teaches you how to determine the source and the cause of things. You cannot give a solution until you found out the cause. You understand that? That's why many times this God teaches us to understand that some of the problems that we're facing is not always a spiritual thing. Sometimes it's a psychological thing. Sometimes you face people who deal with issues that it's not because of a spirit dynamic. I don't believe demons are behind everything. I don't believe Christians can have demons. I don't believe that light and darkness can cohabitate in the same place. The Holy Spirit is in me carefully. He's a, he's a spirit that wants control. You're not an apartment complex. You're a single family dwelling. <laughs> Did you understand that? Single family dwelling. No, no. When they, they ask who's in there, he doesn't say legion because we're many. He says one. The Holy Ghost, the representative of the triune God. That's who dwells in you. God wants to give us understanding, the look beyond the obvious. Now that's what this conference would be like. The way you came is not the way you will leave. This will be a momentous time. Not because of us here, but because of a sovereign thing of God. God chooses. Every meeting is not the same. Every moment is not the same. Every day is not the same. There's something that is special in God. You will see that here during this week. I commend your leadership here. I commend God has blessed you. Don't ever take for granted when God gives you precious leaders. 
The sovereignty of God is that this is how I discipline a rebellious nation. I give them ungodly leaders. I cause the weather and the climate to rebel against them. I cause their crops to fail. I cause their ground to not yield its fruit. That's how I discipline you. But this is how I bless you. I give you precious leaders. I give you shepherds after my own heart. I cause your land to spring forth. I cause your children to live out their lives in the fullness of days. And God has given you precious leadership with vision. You need to understand that rebellion always has its harvest. It's called spiritual blindness. God has given you people around you and many of you. Spiritual intelligence, spiritual understanding, spiritual awareness. That's the blessing of God. You'll see that. And when you return, some of the challenges that you faced before, you will still face them. But you'll face them with a different understanding. You won't become anxious. You won't become fearful. The Lord said that's very clearly. He said, Hemi Cabinet, don't be weary in well-doing. Or you shall reap in due season if you faint not. I commend to you that you'll reap out of this ministry. You will transcend ministries that have preceded you. God will do in you as a green tree what he's had to wait to do in a dry tree. God will reward your labor. He will. And he'll give you preeminence. Your face and your voice will be known. It'll be happening around the world. You'll have depots of life in many nations because God will cause you to spread life, to spread seeds that will spread about. Often say, stay small in your own eyes and God will stay big inside of you. Always remember, great is he that's in me than just me by myself. You will do this, I promise you. God will help you. Tremendous things, tremendous help. I've been so excited about coming. So excited about coming. I can't ever remember having the kind of feelings that I'm having within inside myself. I've almost like a, I don't know, I knew I wasn't having a breakdown. (laughs) But I felt joy and peace, but I felt some sadness. I have questions. But I'm getting some answers. I want to commend you as a servant of the Most High God. God has sent us here. Not because, hear me careful, we love you. We do love you. But he said he will allow our path across the feet of people who will make a difference in the kingdom of God. So I say to you children, arise. For your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you. He's endowed to give you wisdom and counsel and understanding. Barbering on your years. You won't have to wait until you're stricken in age to know the things of God. He's given you an understanding. And with long life would he satisfy you. Because you've set your love upon him. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, Father, I thank you this night in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that I've spoken out of my heart as you have commissioned me to do. I thank you that my words, Lord, have found a dwelling place in the hearts and mind of your people. And Lord, they're doing the course of this week through all that would speak and minister. And through all that would come. And in song and wonderful music and melodies, Lord. That will spark our remembrance and stimulate our consciousness of you, the God who dwells in mighty places, who's allowed us to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, the Most Magnificent God. Thank you, Lord, that as we came, we would leave the same path, the same path. We will not, Lord, do as the young prophet did when you're told to go by a different way. We will go by a different way, but Lord, we will go with wisdom and counsel and understanding. Thank you for these, your children, your people. I bless them with all that's within me. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his grace to shine upon you. And I will eat my food this evening in peace. Amen. Bless you.